0: Now, my my wife said I needed to be turned up. I think that's the first time she's ever said that in (laughs) 42 years of marriage. But um, is it, uh, can you hear me? Good, good. Um, So this morning, it's the story of Hannah, uh, which is part of a series we've had in the Old Testament of women of faith uh, who've made a great impact uh, in the Old Testament, And uh, we've enjoyed that very helpful snapshot, haven't we, of of Hannah. And I think mostly I've thought of Hannah and Samuel as a children's story, a Sunday school story. It's a a terrific story, but but it has real depth, I think, when we explore it further, which hopefully we're going to do for a few moments. Now, I was with an old friend earlier this week, and um, I let slip that I had to... uh, Come up with a talk this morning. And so he said, Well, what was it about? So I, I briefly um, ran through it, the, the story, and uh, asked him what he thought. And he said, Tell him having two wives living together is a terrible mistake. <laughs> so I think that's a rather sort of superficial, uh, but maybe sound advice but a rather superficial um, uh, part uh, to say about it. But on a more serious note, this story begins with domestic conflict. Now, we understand domestic conflict. Um, Our most popular TV soaps wallow in it. Uh, It makes compelling television, but basically it's causing unhappiness, upset to at least one of the parties involved. So 1 Samuel starts with this very unpromising point, misery for Hannah. Now, Elkanah had taken a second wife, which suggests that polygamy was practiced and maybe permitted in that time in Israel, Though nowhere in the Bible is it encouraged. But it was a male-centered society, and the focus was on producing an heir to continue the family knowing and for a wife to fail to have children was to fail the family and in many ways considered a punishment for God, from God. So we can presume that after a few years when Hannah has not produced an offspring, um, Elkanah had taken a second wife. It seems that he married Hannah first for love and then Penina to have children and she certainly had them. She was very productive sons and daughters. So is it not unsurprising that there was unhappiness and uh, Penina maybe out of jealousy used every occasion she could to mock and provoke Hannah for her failure to produce an heir? And as the story unfolds, uh, we see that Hannah, her husband, he believed in God and he regularly took the family to worship at the temple. But this only seemed to, to worsen Hannah's plight and heightened her sense of failure, and uh, Penina, the her second wife, would, would really just wind her up all the time. So while Elkanah really loved Hannah and told her this, um, told her this perhaps many times, like many men, I believe he was a bit insensitive, and he, um, didn't understand his wife's deeper need for, for a child. So it was just a horrible, horrible situation for Hannah. She had a husband who didn't really understand and a second wife who was being in absolute pain to her all the time. And they were in the temple precepts and presented their gifts, but her rival is provoking her and she's not able to, to eat and is weeping. And in anguish of soul, she weeps much, verse 10 and prayed to the Lord. She was at the end of her tether, as we would say, and poured it all out. And this isn't this so often how God seems to work. Everything seems to have gone wrong. And often we find God steps in when we're without strength, without resources, without any hope. And Hannah was beside herself with distress. And as we, read, but as we read, if you read the Psalms in other places in Scripture, we see God allows us to do this, to pour out our hearts, our griefs, our sorrows, our sobs, our anger, our perplexities at his feet. He can handle our tears and frustrations. Now, humanly, don't we, we try to avoid difficult situations. Uh, I think in prosperous West London, to a large extent, we can control most aspects of our life. Um, but not everything. Problems can hit us. Uh, relationships, perhaps health, jobs, financial difficulties. And we become stressed out. And all we want is for them to just go away. But doesn't our experience tell us, uh, even if it's a limited experience, that these are the times when we become most dependent on God and are motivated to pray and reach out to him and find that he's utterly dependable. So in our story Hannah has reached this point. She's desperate. She saw no future in things as they were but had an intensity of desire to get through to God. So she in the story she'd moved a little away from the celebration she was in anguish, she was weeping and praying and she was praying in her heart, the so lips were moving as we saw in that little video but she was making no sound. and she was praying in such a way that Eli the high priest thought she was drunk and, and when you think about it this was a very human prayer You could almost say it was not not very spiritual. It was a sort of bargaining prayer, really. Um, Please give me a son and I will give him back to you for his service. Um, I'm guessing it's the sort of prayer that many of us have prayed. I certainly have. Uh, Lord, if you would do this, I promise I will do that. Um, Go to church. Be a, bit of a better person. Stop doing this or that. And maybe, though, when the answer comes, uh, we conveniently forget what we've promised. And uh, when the emergency is over, we drift back into our comfort zone and haven't really changed. So Hannah was a very human prayer, born out of anguish. But it was—it's abundantly clear from Scripture that. God welcomes all prayer. He just loves our communication with him. Feeble though our attempts may be. We were sort of waiting for the um, A-level results this week for one of our um, grand, grandsons, granddaughter actually, and um, you know, waiting for them to come through. And I was thinking as I was sitting down trying to prepare this sermon, Actually, God doesn't grade our prayers A to E, does he? He, he welcomes, he loves our communication with him. Um, and he welcomes them despite sometimes our mixed motives. We're a mixture of so many things. You see, prayer, is, as, as we know, is not like a vending machine when we put the coin in, specify what we want to get out, press the button and it comes out. And In many ways, prayer is a mystery, but being really open to God, um, even if in the inside we're really raw and angry, uh, connects us with our Heavenly Father, who knows the end from the beginning and wants the very best for us. Hannah had an intensity in her prayer. She kept on asking and Eli then recognized her genuine anguish and grief and that she wasn't drunk um, and he blessed her and he said go in peace and may the god of israel grant what you have asked the situation had changed the sadness had gone and she felt she could eat again and worship but you know in one sense nothing had changed but yet everything had changed When the high priest pronounced this blessing, go in peace. She somehow knew the anguish, the pain, the burden had been lifted off her. And she she could really only account for this as, as coming from God. She poured out her soul to God and made a bit of a spectacle of herself, made herself vulnerable. But somehow she knew in her inner self that something had changed. She had peace for the first time in years. Go in peace, Eli said. Now it has to be said, prayer isn't always answered the way we want. And sadly, things in life don't always happen as we would like. We've reached the stage in life when we're going to many more funerals than we are to weddings. And a couple of times fairly recently we've met up with friends who have life-ending situations and and these are sad. But often what is apparent in Christian friends is a life-affirming faith that seems to have grown stronger and seems to be more real as difficulties and disabilities increase and as the end of life nears, sort of counterintuitive, really. Um, so, a life-long friend of ours died quite recently from cancer, and when we met up with her and her husband uh, for the last time, they were sharing with us what had gone on between them, and, and one of the last things Jean shared with us. When, when we just were going away, she said, "Was was that the experiences and closeness with God she experienced after the last, in the last few months of life, she wouldn't have wanted to miss for anything." So Hannah had absorbed those words: "Go in peace." and worshipped freely again, and she and the whole family then travelled back to Rama. But on the ground, the situation actually was still the same. It would be surprising if Panina had, her rival had stopped taunting and provoking her about her apparent failure, but yet the sting had gone out of those words. She had this peace now about the situation. I think many of us are not very good at waiting. And I think uh, we've become very impatient as a society and expect things most just instantly. So, I mean, if our Amazon order isn't here in the next day, you know, complain and, and it's dreadful and we feel let down. Waiting for God to act and trusting him doesn't always sit well with us. But Hannah had trust and waited. And soon after getting home, she conceived and the baby Samuel was born. And Hannah stuck to a vow and promised, verse 27, we didn't read this, later in the chapter, she said to Eli, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him, so now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord. We see Hannah at great personal cost, forgoing the pleasure, forgoing the pleasure and the joy of seeing her son grow up. Gives him up probably from about the age of three, uh, brought to the temple as we saw on the video, to Eli the high priest to be taught the things of God. But you see, so God had a much greater purpose all along. Because the birth of Samuel led to the revival of faith among the Israelite nation. He became the last of the judges he mentored, and he crowned the young King David, and was largely instrumental in bringing his nation back to God. But what an unpromising start. What an unedifying domestic dispute. In an ordinary family. But Hannah, who had faith, pleaded with God, made a vow, kept it, and God was generous and honored it. So reading on, we see in 1 Samuel, Hannah went up to the temple, and we saw this on the video, and she gave Samuel a new robe to wear every year. Hannah blessed her and her family, and we read further on, that uh, Hannah had three more sons and two daughters. I think it's been said you cannot outgive God. So as as we conclude, let's think of this. Could Hannah in her wildest dreams think God would use her desperation, her faith and sacrifice to begin to turn around the fortunes of her nation and bring them back to God. What Hannah found out was that God's plan for her life were good plans. His plan was not to hurt her. His plan was to uh, amaze her in his time. I think for ourselves we rarely see God's big picture we perhaps see part of it but often there are big pieces missing which we may never see or only see in retrospect as we look back So even when we do not understand life and things look really grim for us things are going on that we're not aware of that are part of God's plan and I think we must take this away this morning that he will fulfill his purpose for each of us if we will let him. If we trust God, who knows the future and he wants the best for us. Amen.